0: So Luke chapter 15, you know, we're we're going to go through there's there's three three counts here. We've got the uh the lost sheep, we've got the lost coin, we've got the the lost son, the prodigal son. And um and so we're we're going to talk about all three of those and the things that are um similar things that are different. Um but let's start out here in in uh in Luke chapter 15 and uh well, we'll, we'll get to that. Let's uh Actually, let's let's talk. Let's let's set up a little bit of background here. Um, there's, I mean, we we could have went into to a whole bunch tonight um, about shepherds and flocks and, and the things that are set up there. Um, do y'all know where the phrase "black sheep" comes from? A movie. The black sheep, what? <laughs> okay, so, so JR is the black sheep in his family? Is that what you're saying? Uh, so it used to be, okay, that that, that black sheep were um, the sort of sheep you didn't want in your flock. Okay, that's the idea. So bad for your flock because commercially what you wanted was uh, was white wool, right? Because you can dye that wool any color that you want it to. And so if you've got a bunch of white sheep and they're producing good... You know clean wool what you don't want is a black sheep in your flock because then what happens yeah yeah you get tan <laughs> you know yeah well yeah, yeah you're so your wool the quality of your wool goes downhill and so they uh they, it was a black sheep was a liability to a to a to a sheep shepherd shepherd uh it's been a long couple of weeks guys <laughs> so <laughs> uh but yeah, so it'll compromise the quality of, of, of what you're breeding and the wool and things like that. So in ancient times, in Jesus' day, it was tradition, uh, tech, you know, that most farmers would remove the black sheep from the flock, right? Because it's undesirable. And then the, the phrase black sheep began to be used as a term to describe anybody that was undesirable and so you know and so you'll hear people say well he's the black sheep of the family and maybe we say that jokingly about jr but like that that phrase does mean something right that's that's the you know people talk about you know someone who's a black sheep he's an outcast he's he's he doesn't really fit in that's kind of the the phrasing that that's kind of what we we mean by that and so what i want us to understand that is in jesus's day because the that things shift here we, we've talked a lot about the kingdom parables and the parables that are taking place in Matthew we're kind of shifting gears here and Luke like the parables that Jesus teach in Luke it's it's not like he sat down to teach and you know decided to teach in parables it's it's these are usually responses to something he's seeing Okay, And so, so in Luke, it's Jesus is, is having a conversation or he witnesses something happening and in response to that, he uses a parable to teach to help people understand what's going on. Okay? And so one of the things we're going to see you know, throughout, especially you know, the Gospel according to Luke, is that a lot of these parables are used, the, the specific context is how the religious leaders of the day were dealing with, with the, the, the message, dealing with people, you know, and those sorts of things. And so when we see, you know, we, guys, we went through the tabernacle class and we went through Malachi. And so we, we see what the Old Testament plan was. We see what it was supposed to be. We see what people did to it. And, you know, all through Malachi, we kept hitting this point where it was like, okay, you know, there's all these warnings. And, and the sad thing is we can fast forward 400 years and find out whether it helped or not. And when we, get, when we go from Malachi, as bad as it is, and then we open up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not better. It's worse. Right? It's so much worse. Now, a lot, a lot of things happened in that time frame that we can talk about and say, well, maybe this is at fault and that's at fault. But the point is, you know, the, 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 the system that God set up for His people didn't become more pure. It became more diluted. Right? It, it became more... <sighs> Contaminated with, with man made doctrine and man made tradition and those sorts of things. Matter of fact, I mean, we went through the tabernacle class, so a lot of Exodus and Leviticus. We went through Malachi. Where in the Old Testament do we even hear about Sadducees, Pharisees, you know, and these sorts of groups? Like, where where are these? Like, what are the qualifications in the Bible for these religious leaders? They don't exist. Right, and so you know th- these are these are self-appointed, like to be a Pharisee. Like it's not it's not like God appointed Pharisees among His people. Like these are self-appointed positions. Okay, it's like a it's like a the, a guy calls himself a pastor today, unless he's an elder. That's a, that's not a that's not a position that's in the Bible. You you see what I mean? Like there's an evangelist there's there's pastors or elders, you know um, you know a, a reverend is a man made thing okay shouldn't revere anybody but God um, you get what I'm saying like the Pharisee is not a biblical position and you know and, and so when we get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that things have really been re- i mean it just went it just got worse and so especially in Luke, some of these parables are really trying to get across these ideas of the mentality of the religious leaders at the time, then one of the things that we don't always, or at least I don't always think about, is it's not just that they, they really messed up the plan and, and the structure of, 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 that God set up back in Exodus. It's more than that. Like, people suffered because of it. And that's, that, there's a lesson to that. Like, whenever we mess up the church, it's not just that we mess up the church. People will suffer because of that. Now we can, we can call it what we want. We can say that we're going to make things different because we're going to be more seeker friendly or we're going to try to get more people involved and so we're going to water it down a little here, compromise it here, or we're going to make it more fitting over here, or easier over here, whatever you want to call it. And it, may, it may grab more people. It may get more attention, but if it's not what Jesus established for His church through the Scriptures, people will suffer in the long term. You know, like I said, more people may go to church that doesn't mean more people are, are going to fill heaven one day, you see, and so these religious positions that were kind of self-appointed. I always tell like, so I have Bible study on Thursday mornings. I try to meet with the kids in Glencoe. That there's a group of them that are being homeschooled right now, and so we kind of we kind of get together on Thursday mornings, and we're just going through. It's one, It's really just. A, it's not. It's not like an intense Bible study. We're just kind of getting together and hanging out for a little bit. And we, we go through some scripture together. We're going through the book of Matthew together right now and just letting them ask questions, trying to get to them to, to open up with me a little bit more about things that they don't understand, words they've never heard of before or can't define. Same things we try to do as adults, but it's easier to do it with kids because, you know, less pride involved. And so, um, like, we get, to, we get to, like, you know, you don't have to go hard uh, into, into, the, into Matthew. Like, you're dealing with Pharisees and stuff. And these kids are like, who are these people? It's a good question. I mean, a lot of adults don't really understand who these people are. And so the best explanation that I can give to these kids, and, and I, think, I think this is a good way to look at it, is that the Pharisees were like, were like self-appointed police officers. You know what I mean? Like they, their job is to make sure that you know that you've broken the law. Okay? Um, they don't prevent people from breaking the law. They just kind of punish people for breaking the law. And the problem with these Pharisees is it's like, how many of you have ever seen a police officer speed? Okay, so who pulls them over? The game warden can? Yeah, he can do anything he wants, can Yeah, he? Yeah. yeah, no one pulls the cop over when he's speeding. And that's kind of what happened with the Pharisees. Their job was to say, well, you broke the, you, you, you broke the Sabbath and you, you, you did this or you did that. But nobody pulled them over and said, wait a minute, you all are doing this also. Now, Jesus did. And before Jesus did, John John the Baptist did. And that went over well for them, right? I mean, like, uh, no, you know, that caused a lot of trouble. Uh, but the, the point is, the reason that there was so much hatred toward John and toward Jesus was, uh, I, I, I really believe a lot of it was that right there, that they were the only ones to pull these guys over and say, wait a minute, you guys are breaking God's, well, not just these traditions you've made up, but you're breaking the word of God, like God's commands. And so that's a pretty big deal. And so my point in all this is just saying that there's there's this tension that exists in the New Testament between the religious establishment and and Christ and the religious establishment and people, and you know it, it's it's one thing for people to be misled; it's another thing to be the one misleading them. Okay, now they're both you know those who are blind and those who are following the blind. They're they're both lost, right? But I mean. The, there's a, there's a lot, I mean, it's not the same thing, though. I mean, there's some responsibility there and, and some, it's just not the same thing. You can see this with the way Jesus deals with people. You know, he deals with people who are misled and misinformed and hurting differently than he does with the leaders that are doing the damage. And so, all this to say that, you know, when we get into like Luke, we get, you know, these parables are usually directly in response to how people were being hurt by the system being messed up and not not following God's pattern. And so, I brought up the black sheep thing because one, we're going to get into the shepherd idea and this, this lost sheep. But the other reason I say that is because the Pharisees looked at sinners as black sheep. They looked at the people that Jesus was associating with like these aren't people we really want in our flock anyway. You, you see what I mean? And so instead of trying to help these people, all they really cared about was the fact that maybe we can use this as an opportunity to make Jesus look bad because these aren't the kind of people we want, right? And so it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous dangerous game that they're playing, but, but I want you to think about before we, I just, we're gonna get into this. This is the backdrop of Luke 15. But I want you to consider for a second, the Jewish people, but, but the religious leaders are part of that. You know, we think about their history. They've got this rich history, but take God out of it, and who are they? They're nobody, right? I mean, that, their whole history is, look what God did, look what God did, look what God did. But without God, they, they were nothing. I mean, they really were nothing, and so God made them a people, right? They gave them a place, gave them a name, right? Made them something, gave them this legacy. They've got this rich history of victory and accomplishment all because of God. And before that, they were just absolutely no different than anybody else on earth. And, and there's something to this. Because, because of God's involvement with the Jewish people, it put the Jewish people in a better position, okay? Now, I'm wording that that way for a reason. Um, people, people in the world will sometimes say, "Oh, you think you're a Christian? You're better than everybody," and then Christians are scared of that, and so Christians will start teaching hey, we're Christians, but we're not better than anybody, okay? And then, like, my whole thing is then why become a Christian if it's not better, you know? I mean, so, like, I think, I think something got lost in the translation, and I think we mask it with this kind of false humility. Uh, and so, like, the Jewish people weren't necessarily better, but they're better off, right? They're in a better position because of God, right? If take God out of the picture, and they are they are so... So, I mean, they, they don't have any favor. They don't have any future. They have no hope. They had nothing going for them. So everything that, that they want want to brag about, it's all because of God. And what God did for his own good name and his glory and the advancement of what would eventually be his church. And so, you know, the position that they're in because of God made them a better place, better people, Right. They're, they're in a covenant with God. They, they were given the word of God, right? They've got the scripture. They've got the prophets. They've got God's involvement. And that put them in a better position than if they'd never had that. And I think we can all agree with that. That makes sense. And it's the same thing with a Christian. Being in Christ puts me in a better position than when I was outside of Christ. It puts me in a covenant with God. It puts me in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It puts me in Christ and Christ in me. Like, my life's better because of that. Right? And it's not, it's, it's, and he gets the credit for that. Like, that's, that has to be obvious in that. It's all because of him. And so the Pharisees are in a better position than the Gentiles. And like if you, if you think back to that tabernacle class, we see that in all the boundaries and the barriers. right? That was a big deal in the tabernacle class that every, every step closer to God, there's like something, something blocking your way. And so you know the religious people of God, like the Jewish people were in a better position. And even the Pharisees were. They still had the Scriptures. They were in this covenant with God and all these sorts of things. Uh, but my question is, what did they do with that position? Did they use it to help anybody? Did they use it to elevate others? They they used it to make themselves look good. Self-righteousness, you know, legalism, these things. Yeah, and then they grumbled and they complained about sinners, but then they would elevate themselves. Okay, that's the idea. Now, what were they supposed to do with their position? Okay, well, let's look here in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I'm the Lord, I've called you in righteousness, I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. It's a pretty good position to be in. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the nations. Now, anytime in the, in the Old Testament that we see the word nations, we could substitute that word nation with Gentiles. It's the exact same word. Okay, you know, when he's talking about judging the nations, he's not talking about judging their government. He's not talking about judging America or judging Japan or China or Ukraine. He's talking about the Gentiles, like the people that are outside of God's covenant will be judged and so will those on the, you know, that's the idea. But the point was that these people were in a better position and they were supposed to use that position to be a light to the rest of the world, to those that were not in that position. Right? That's, that was the plan. And so, instead, that didn't work, right? And so, I just want you to think of that as we get into Luke 15, that there's, there's this idea from the beginning that they were supposed to be showing people this is what can happen if you listen to God and if you follow God and if God, if, if, if God really is your king and, and you're his people and you humble yourself. You know, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles and that's that is not what happened so let's turn to Luke chapter 15 let's get uh, started in the first one here nice to just keep that in mind uh, as we go through this verses 1 through 3 is where we're going to start It says now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble saying this man receives sinners and eats with them so he told them this parable Okay, so this is, the, this is the context, right? This is, this is the backdrop for, for, for this whole chapter. Okay, and, and, and the chapter is broken into, this is, this is I, I think this is interesting. The chapter is broken into three illustrations, not three parables. Okay, the chapter is broken into three illustrations that all teach the same truth. So the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, it's really one parable. It's three different illustrations teaching the same principle. Okay, and here's, here's how we know that. He told them this parable, singular, in verse 3, and from there, like, I mean, if you're in Luke 15, just kind of look at it. You flow through here. It never brings up, oh, and he told them another parable. They, all of these flow one into the other without any interruption, without any break. Right, I mean I know that you're going to have the man made like header titles in there, but like the scripture doesn't break these up. It's one continuous uh, ongoing lesson here. And so just, you know, in verse 7 he ends with the lost sheep, right? So I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8 or what woman if she has 10 silver coins and loses one, you see what I mean? So it's not he stops and he says and then he taught another parable. So you know, so it says in verse three, he told them this parable, and then we've got, like I said, three illustrations um, that, that don't break up, that don't change, and uh, you know, one truth. And so, three stories thrown alongside. And remember, that's the that's the definition of parable in the Greek. It's a it's a story thrown alongside the truth. So w- this parable contains the three stories but it's the same truth in all of these. Now there's, we're gonna emphasize different things of each of them. They aren't exactly the same, uh, but, but the, the principle's the same in each of them, right? And so we're, we'll, we'll go through them all and, and kinda dissect them as we go. But anyway, it's just interesting. Why, why do you think he would do it this way? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just, you know, why do you think he would throw three of these stories out all teaching the same truth? Okay. I th- I think that's that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Emphasis yeah. for sure. Yeah. Maybe similar to that you in different walks of life, you know, there's definitely different kinds of people you who know, may have had experiences like this. You know, sure. But maybe not that. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here here's the other thing. Like I get um I, I you know, I say this all the time. I really don't know. I don't know I don't know what your all's experience is individually with with being evangelistic. I I don't know. I don't know if you've ever sat down with someone in your home and opened up a Bible and started having Bible study that went on for weeks on end. I don't know if you've ever done that. I do, that's what I do. That's how I've always done it. I just, I don't I don't see in the Bible where, where salvation should be a corporate thing or we just hope for the best on a Sunday morning. Like what I see is that Christians are supposed to go out and teach people how to be followers of Christ. And so I don't do that because I'm the evangelist, I'm the preacher, I do that because I'm a Christian and that seems to be what the pattern is and so that's what I try to do. I try to get people to sit down with me one-on-one and we just open the Bible and talk about it and try to lead people through what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and you know, talk about what the Bible says and answer questions as you go and eventually you get into, you know, things like repentance and baptism and, and you know, and then when you get there, they're ready to make that decision and that's how it goes. But I'll, I'll tell you, we live in a strange time, you know, and, and I know I've made this statement a lot that there's, we live, I mean, there's so much religion but there's like, there's no truth out there right now. And so people are caught up into something. I mean, most most everyone you meet like it's it's hard. It, like if you find a blank slate out there, that's like I don't know anything about the Bible. Would love to hear about it. Like you, if you waste that man, shame on you. You know what I mean? And so you find that you man, you get excited about that. You sit down, you teach them what the Bible says. It'll be the easiest conversion you've I mean you've ever been a part of in your whole life. It'll be cool and exciting. But that almost never happens because everybody has some experience with church or some experience with some denominational teaching or they've got some ideas wrapped up in their head and, and then you've got to try to get them out of that. And, you know, and I've seen people get frustrated because, I, I mean, I've known guys that have been like, well, I, I, I showed them Acts 238 and they didn't want to get baptized. So, what you know, okay. I, so, I mean Seriously, some people think that's all it should take. Um now, in a perfect world, yeah, you know, they should be able to see what the Bible says and that should be it, but wh- why do you think that doesn't work? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's not hard to find some Bible to back up those false... Like, a lot of false teaching, it's not that it's anti-Bible, it's missing by, like, it's just, it's not complete. You know what I mean? And so, like, the people, oh, you just gotta believe. Well, you do have to believe. Like, of course that's gonna be in the Bible, you know? But there's a lot more to it than that, you know? Faith only, well, that you do have to have faith, so it's not completely wrong. You know what I mean? There's You can find some Scripture to back that up, but just you gotta leave the rest of it out. And so, that gets really confusing and difficult. And and then, like I said, you, you just, at some point, you gotta change people's minds. And you're really getting someone to rethink their whole life, the way they think, the way they prioritize, the way they structure what they're doing. Because, you know, becoming a Christian, if it, I mean, if you're doing this right with people, they, they're thinking all of this through, right? Because it's not just a quick decision and we'll see what happens. It's Their whole life's going to be re, reconfigured here in the water. They're going to come, I mean, they've got to be different people. Like, You've got to live differently. It's more than just where I go to church on Sunday. And so people are going to start start working through that and the minute they put any serious thought into it what's going to come crashing down on them is the fact that this isn't as easy as i thought it would be because for me to make these changes other people are going to be affected by that. I've got to bring my kids along or my husband along or my wife along or my parents along or somehow I've got to deal with people who are close to me and why I'm doing this and not doing something else or you know, and as soon as someone is interested in church, they've got 100 people in their life telling them what they should do. None of them showing them Bible about anything. Uh, but I mean, you've got to deal with that kind of stuff. And so in my experience, you cannot expect to tell someone something one time and think that's going to be enough. It's just. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, you got to give them a reason. Like I said, you, you know, and, and I think I think we 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 do. This wrong when we try to draw people to baptism first, you know what I mean and I, I really think that 's and I get it baptism 's been under fire forever, and so like we 've got the truth on that, and everybody else is firing at it and so but I think we we make that the battle, and there 's a battle with that for sure, but like I, I really think that we 've done like i said we 're trying to convert people to be baptized rather than to 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 know the Lord, love the Lord, follow the Lord, and baptism 's a part of that, and so yeah, so that's, that's a good point though. Yeah, the Lord, they've got to be drawn to the Lord first. Um, and so, you know, but like in my experience, they like I said I, I've got to, sometimes you've got to go through something. I mean, if you're working on one idea with somebody, I mean, you may have to hit it from three or four different angles in the Scripture before it starts to really set in their head. They, they, you can't expect them to hear it one time and, it, and that change a lifetime of wrong ideas, you know? I mean, the Scripture's powerful. I'm not saying it's not powerful enough to do that. I'm just saying they've got so much weighing on, on the other side of this that you really do have to reinforce these ideas several times before it starts to break through some of those strongholds that are in their mind. And so I really think that's a big part of it too. You know, it's, so anyway, uh, my, my point is there might be a lesson in this. The fact that Jesus is doing this three different ways and three different times to teach this truth. One, it should show us how important this truth is and two it also helps us you know this is a good way to work with people so you know if I'm if I'm working on repentance with somebody and they're not getting it I I don't move on like we just keep working on repentance until we get it we just got to come at it from different scriptures and different different accounts in the Bible and keep working at it until it clicks you know and that's I'm not smart enough to deal with more than one thing at a time I've, I've been saying that since I started preaching I've told every congregation I've been at look I'm not smart enough to deal with more than one problem at a time so if we have a problem we'll deal with it until we deal with it. So, that's how I deal with things. So, <laughs> right or wrong, that's how I deal with it. Okay, so anyway, um, you know, you just got to keep coming at it from different angles. All right, So, but, but here's the context, right? So, the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes grumble about it. That's, that's the context, okay? They're grumbling because Jesus is eating with sinners and, you know, Jesus is emphasizing in this chapter that he came to seek and save the lost. And so that he's teaching these parables as a response right so they're situational right these are about this situation and so his response to their grumbling is to teach these lessons okay and then there's another lesson in chapter 16 that often we miss out on and so it's it's really important i don't we're not breaking anymore right we're we're going until we're done yes okay good so we're going to get through la- chapter 15 and what we're going to want to do is just kind of shut our brains off and move on to the next parable Chapter 16, there's a lesson there that the backdrop of chapter 16 is chapter 15. And it's, I don't know that I've ever heard it dealt with in in context to that. Uh, but it, I don't know how, I don't know how else to deal with it. And so anyway, we're going to go through all of that in the next two weeks here, this week and next week. So anyway... Let's talk about verse 2 here. It says, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. This verse is often misused. Um, it's used to justify Christians' involvement in, in sinful activities. Okay, And so how many of you have heard something like this? Well, what's wrong with going to the bar on Saturday night? If Jesus was here, that's where he would be. We've heard that. Some of you laughing, okay? Uh, um, You get what I'm saying? So we've we've heard this before. People will use a scripture like this to kind of back that idea up and say, okay, so if Jesus was here, that these are the kind of places that he would be in. And so, um, anyway, it's true that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But look at verse two. Um, Tax collectors and sinners were doing what? Coming to him. Okay, he wasn't going to the brothel to preach to them. Right? He wasn't going to the bar to, to talk to them. They were coming to him. It's a completely different situation. Okay? And so we need to reach out to people who are hurting and people who are in sin because we've we've got an answer to that. Right? We've got we've got the, the solution that can help build their life and make them whole again. Um, but like if you want to reach out to an alcoholic, maybe going to the bar with them isn't the right time or place to do that. You know what I mean? I don't know how effective that's going to be. Maybe wait till they're sober, okay, and then sit down and talk to them, right? That, so anyway, I'm just saying, I don't think we should use these verses to justify those sorts of things. Jesus didn't go to those places, uh, but he welcomed them in here. Now, on the other hand, there's a lesson to that. These individuals that the Pharisees and scribes are grumbling about, these are people that need what Jesus is offering but notice who they're not going to for help. They did not go to the Pharisees and the scribes for help, did they? They went to Jesus. Now why do you think that might be? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I don't think it was any... any, uh, any, any uh, Surprised that uh, the Pharisees weren't interested in helping these people, and so uh, Jesus didn't have that same self-righteous and offensive attitude um, that the Pharisees would have had. And so Luke 15 really does it, it emphasizes Christ's attitude in verse seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. And so, um, so you know that's that's where Jesus was at with this. And so. Um, we ought to, as Christians, get excited about people, you know, making changes in their life. And, uh, you know, we need to see those things as victories. And we need to hold people accountable and help them, um, you know, see those things as victories. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get into the, to the, rep. four through seven. It says, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost, excuse me, until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no no repentance. Okay, So, you know, this is a good illustration, um, you know, especially because in chapter 10, We've got the uh, and see this all this all goes together. Um, you know in Luke, you know in John chapter ten, we've got this this uh, this the Jesus talking about he, he's the good shepherd he's going to lay down his life for the sheep and you know it's 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 really cool idea you know and uh, but these religious leaders of the day you know they, they were supposed to I mean if you're gonna gonna be a leader I mean you, you should act kind of like a shepherd you know and they uh, they were not caring for for the, the lost sheep of Israel at all you know and so that's that's uh, we'll get more into that. Um, let's talk about this. He says, first off, um, it's very specific. He says, what man among you? Okay, among who? Yeah, among those grumbling, right? Among the Pharisees and the, 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 you know, the religious leaders. Which one of you would leave the, the flock to go after the one? And so, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty significant idea. Now, one of the things that Jesus is going to emphasize in this is that, you know, the the idea that that if we're going to go after the one, so there's some evangelism lessons in this, diligence has to be applied to the search. Okay, and so first off, the shepherd does not sit around and wait for the sheep to come back. Okay, that's not the tactic that's used here. He doesn't take a casual stroll around uh, to see uh, if he just kind of stumbles upon it. He goes after it, it says, until he finds it. Okay? And so it's a diligent search. It's not going to end until he finds the one that's, that, that's left. Okay? And so that teaches us that we have to be proactive in our efforts to reach out to those that need to repent, to those that are lost, to those that have left. I mean, if you're going to, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but if you're going to be a soul winner, you, you, you can't wait for that perfect opportunity. Okay? You need to be, you know, Proactive and diligent and deliberate in what you're doing. Um, evangelism can't be, it's not a program. Okay, it's, it's not a program that we can put together on a Wednesday night. It's, it's not a calling night. It's, it's not, uh, you know, it's a lifestyle. Okay, being evangelistic is a lifestyle. It's, it's a completely way, a different way of looking at your interactions with people and your relationships with people outside of Christ. It's a different way of looking at, at the, the patterns of your life Trying to find ways to make those things happen. You know, I mean, if you're in a place and you're thinking, well, I don't know anybody, you know, listen, I, you know, I, I lived up in Portsmouth for a while, was trying to, get, uh, trying to find some people to talk to while I was in Bible college. I started going to the same gas station every week. Uh, on the same time in the morning at the same, same day of the week because I figured the same same people were going to be working there every day. Even if gas was cheaper, next door, that's where I went for gas every time. And so I get to know the people in there on a first name basis. You know, uh, uh, things like that. You know what I mean? Evangelism has to be a lifestyle. You've got to start looking for and trying to create opportunities to get your foot in the door with people, right? To get on a first name basis with people. And so it's uh, you've got to be proactive. Um, a lot of people today, you know, would, would be willing to share the gospel so long as they don't have to go anywhere, okay? Um, the church, listen, the world was never commanded to go to a church building. You understand that, right? It's never happened. The church has been commanded to go out into the world, how we got this backward, I don't understand. I don't know what happened in our history, in our church history, that made us turn evangelism into let's just have church on Sunday morning and hope they show up, and we'll hit them with the gospel message when they get in the door and see what happens. Like I don't, I don't see that in the scripture as the plan. I'm, I'm not trying to say that that's anyone's going to go to hell for doing that. I just think that we're shortchanging our opportunities by not trying to go out and make a difference with people on an individual basis. Every one of us, not just the preacher or the leaders, that sort of a thing. And so, you know, the, we expect the loss to come to us and then if they don't come to us, what do we do? Huh? We blame them, you know? Or we start, we start trying to build things to draw them, right? Well, if they're not coming, it must be our building. You know, or I bet it's, you know, it's time for a new quarterback. Our preacher's probably too boring. They, we'll blame the preacher they've never heard, right, <laughs> on why they're not coming, you know. Uh, we'll try to make, uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, we blame the world for it. We'll complain, well, nobody wants to hear it, things like that, you know. Um, listen, we have to go out to the lost. That's, that's first and foremost. So we make opportunities to reach them. So here's the thing, why in this parable does the shepherd go after the sheep? Okay, it's lost. Okay, well, there's lots of lost people around us. What made the shepherd want to go after it? Okay, cares about the sheep. What? I'm sorry? It belongs to him. Okay, yeah, the the shepherd realizes that the sheep's not not where it needs to be, not where it should be, that the sheep will not survive if it's left outside of the shepherd's care. Okay? And so there's, there's, there's an urgency to the shepherd that makes him proactive about this. And until the church, you know, it's, we've got to kind of light a fire under our rear ends here about this. We have got to understand that people who are lost are not going to make it if they remain outside of Jesus Christ. And that the only way that they're going to get in Christ is if they hear the gospel message from somebody. Like, that's the only plan that we have. Like, that's the only plan that's in the Bible. And so, if we had enough urgency, uh, like the shepherd, we would assume people were not where they should be, but we know what can make a difference, and then we would try to do something. Now, like I said, we look at the context, and this parable is Jesus' response to the grumblings of the Pharisees. And they have a problem that Jesus would associate with sinners, which reveals their attitude toward the lost. They didn't see the lost sheep as a sheep that needed sought after. Okay? They didn't see the lost sheep as a sheep that needed brought back to the flock. Um, and so that question, right, what man among you okay, is going to leave the 99 and go after one? The answer is none of them. Okay, so they saw no value in the lost sheep, and they saw no urgency in getting them back, which means that you're not going to see any effort from them. That's the equation, guys. Urgency and value equals effort. Okay. If you don't think it's urgent, you'll put it off. And if you don't think it's valuable enough, you'll never do it. Okay. I understand that we are busy people, and that things pull on our schedule and our priorities all the time. But you got to understand there's only so much of us and only so much that we can do. And so every day we say yes to things, we say no to things. The things we say yes to are the things that we either find urgent or we find valuable. That, that's, that, that's the equation that equals our effort. If I know that it can wait, I'll do something that can't wait. Right, I'll, you know, I'll prioritize accordingly. If it's not important, I'll spend my time on the things that are important, right? And so if saving the lost doesn't get on your priority list, you need to reevaluate the value of those people and the urgency, okay? We're not guaranteed tonight, not guaranteed tomorrow, another week, you see? So value plus urgency is gonna equal effort. Now, the contrast to these guys who would not go after one is Jesus telling us that every soul is valuable and worth our effort, right? And so that's, that's something important. Now look at verse, verse 5 and 6. Let's, let's, read the, let's read this. and We're gonna ask the question, who benefits? Right? When the shepherd puts in the effort, you know, when he thinks that it's it's, it's worthy, worthy of his time, it's valuable enough, it's urgent enough that the shepherd's gonna go after the sheep. When he returns with the sheep, who benefits? Okay? Verse 5 and 6. When he was, has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Okay? So who benefits? Okay? Who's everybody, though? Well, well let's start here. Who's rejoicing? Okay, the shepherd is better off. Okay? So shepherd benefits the sheep obviously benefits not lost it's going to survive it's taken back into the care of the shepherd okay who else is going to benefit okay it calls together his friends and his neighbors rejoice with me right for i found the sheep which was lost my point is everybody benefits when somebody follows jesus christ okay everybody benefits okay the sheep's no longer lost Right Listening now, following the voice of the shepherd, listen when, when a life when I mean, just 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 think, I mean, I know you know these people, right? I know you know people right now, you know, families with kids, you know people that are that are, that are broken and are hurting, and just think right now if just the the mother of just the father, if somebody in that family would become a Christian, how different would that home be right now, right? And then what could happen, okay? Everybody attached to that person, their life benefits when that one person becomes a Christian. As long as it's not superficial, right? if they're actually following Christ and living the Christian life, their co-workers are going to benefit, their immediate family, their their spouse, their kids, their their parents, their neighbors. You know, everybody that is in contact with that person, their life is going to benefit from the light that's going to shine out of that one Christian. Okay, and so it's, Man, I I don't know how else to, to 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 put that, but you know, if if it but it works the other way. I'm a Christian, living the Christian life, if I decide to turn around and go the other way, who does that who does that hurt? Everybody attached to me hurts because of that. When I'm selfish, right? When 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 I when I act out and, and, and I'm resentful. You know, if, 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 I, if I let sin get a hold of me, it, it hurts my kids, it hurts my wife, it hurts my family, it hurts my church, it hurts my friends. I mean, everybody is, is negatively affected because of sin. But everybody benefits when we follow Christ. I mean, it's it, it, pretty simple, right? But I mean, you can see that in so many accounts in the Scripture. And it's, a, it's an aspect of this I don't think we put enough intention on. Sin is always a selfish choice. And so, the people closest to us will absolutely suffer uh, the fallout of, of not following Jesus Christ, but they all benefit when we do. It's such a cool idea. Um, <clears throat> let's, uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. The man have found it, his friends, his neighbors, the lost sheep, they all benefit. Okay. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's keep going. I will not want to take a break yet. I think we can get through this first. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter thirty-four. Ezekiel chapter thirty-four. Um, there's, I just want to show that like this, the shepherd sheep stuff is isn't new. Like this was all all prophetic throughout the Old Testament, and you know, and there's these prophecies about uh, a good shepherd that's that's going to. Uh, well, it's about Christ essentially. But let's let's go through here. Um, Ezekiel chapter thirty-four. Uh, we're a we're big chunk here, but uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And I just want you to think about what God has against the shepherds of Israel here in Ezekiel 34. Because it's very, very much like what, what he has against the shepherds of, of his people there in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves! Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you've not healed. The broken, you've not bound up. The scattered, you've not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity, you've dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds... Did not search for my flock. Do you hear that? My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. So God has a lot against these guys. Okay. They don't feed the sheep. Okay, what's going on in the days of Christ? They spiritually feeding the people. No, it's it's amazing when Jesus teaches. Everyone's astonished, right? I mean, everyone's whenever Jesus stands up and teaches. That the general consensus is this guy. I mean, he's he's something to listen to. And I, I don't know necessarily that it was because he was real charismatic or that he told a bunch of jokes. You know, I bet, you know, what are they used to hearing? Yeah, they're used to hearing criticism and they're used to hearing a bunch of tradition right I mean and a lot of the Jewish tradition was here's the here's what God said let me tell you what that really means we'll add 30 more rules about it and then we'll give you 30 loopholes to get around it you know what I mean and so that was everything was real wishy-washy and Jesus you know spoke with authority on the Word of God like nobody else was doing and it drew people to him and so the people were spiritually hungry because they had they hadn't been fed right the Word of God wasn't being proclaimed clearly and, and intentionally it was always being twisted it says they do not strengthen the weak, heal the sick, or bind the broken. Okay? What were they there for then? You know? It says that they uh, they don't seek after the lost sheep. Okay? They do not lead. Instead, they dominate with force and severity. How long is that going to go over? Doesn't work. Right? Doesn't work. Uh, they leave the sheep to the wolves, and then they eat the sheep and wear the wool. Right? Pretty bad for, for, uh, for a shepherd. Okay? Um, so that's 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 some rough stuff. Now again, we see the same things happening in the time of Christ. Religious leaders who have no concern for the spirituality of the people, um, often using people that they're supposed to lead to promote their own agendas. Right? How many times do we see the Pharisees dragging somebody in front of Jesus and just using them as bait? Right? I mean, we see that we see that multiple times. The blind man in John chapter nine, the woman at the well in John chapter eight. I mean, they, they had no problem uh, using the sheep uh, as, as a bait to ca- cause problems for Christ. Uh, you can get into Matthew 23. We're not going to go there right now, but the woes to the Pharisees, I mean, a lot of those things mimic these same exact things we're talking about. Okay, well, let's, starting in verse 11, okay, this is where the Messianic prophecy kind of begins in this chapter. Okay, and this, this gets really cool, I think. In verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I Myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Okay? Well, how, how's that going to happen? You all won't do it. I myself will come and seek out my sheep. What, what did Jesus say in Luke 19? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He literally came here to seek and save the lost, right? Okay, let's, let's look at verses... Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah, I need to, I need to stay on top of this. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so the Lord's going to seek out His own sheep for, he, for Himself there. Okay, and then we're going to read verses 12 through 15. It says, As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day, uh, so 12, 12 through 15, As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they are scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Okay, what Jesus, well, we'll get to that. Keep going, I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I'll lead them to rest, declares the Lord. So the Lord will care for his sheep. He's going to feed them and lead them to rest. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's almost a sermon in this, you know that? Just about there. Jake can get it. <clears throat> okay, verse 16. He says, I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered. I bind up the broken, strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I'll feed them with judgment. Okay? So God's going to bring back the scattered to heal the sick and the wounded. First Peter two twenty four through 25 He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by these wounds we're healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've been turned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We're going to skip some because I, well, I'm just not going to read the whole chapter. But we go down to verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Okay, one shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus said in John 10:11, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, it's obvious we're seeing the, the messianic thread through here, Right? Ezekiel um, 34 here. Go 24 through 26. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing and I will cause showers to come down in their season and they will be showers of blessings. This is... a this is cool. Those who follow the shepherd will be a blessing to the people around them. You see that? It's that same Whose who's benefits? Who's going to rejoice? Right? Everybody connected. Luke 15, 6. When he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Verse 26 speaks of a hill. Right? This is a reference to the church, the holy mountain. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I don't have it up here. Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we're going to look at verse uh, 22 through 24 there. You're there. Say, so you got it. I, I waited to, to give the verse just so that I would get there first. And... Mm-hmm. All right, 20, chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, the God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Right? And so that's the, that's the mountain, right? His church, his holy city. Yeah, okay. Let's, uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. And uh hit the lost coin here after the break okay let's uh, let's pick up there in um, chapter fifteen uh, verses eight and nine. so uh, Jesus continues uh, teaching here on the uh on the same concept here. A couple things different about this. Verse eight and nine. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I've found the coin which I had lost. Okay. So the the lost sheep, okay, what's being emphasized Some things change here uh, in in these illustrations. In the lost sheep, what's being emphasized is the effort by the shepherd to go after the one that's lost, right? So we see that that's, that's an aspect of this that the Religious leaders, so the disciples needed to hear this, right? You, you can't, you can't do this the way everybody else has been doing it. The religious leaders needed to be condemned for this and and, and convicted about it. Uh, but you know, uh, so you know, if we understand the concern, the value, the urgency that the shepherd has put on retrieving that lost sheep, then we understand the joy um, and its return back to the flock. With the lost coin, it's where is it lost? Okay, you see, there's a difference. Like, it's not a sheep in the wilderness, away from the shepherd, alone, stuck in a fence somewhere, (laughs) caught in a ravine. Um, It's a coin. It's lost in a house. So we're not concerned about its safety here. And I'm not saying that about lost people. I'm just saying that's not what's being emphasized. Like, we're not talking about the the safety and the 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 you know, it's the coin's not alive. It's not in a state of distress or discomfort. And so, this is not a lesson about the concern for the lost sheep. This is a lesson about the joy in recovering something that was lost. Okay? And so, here, who suffers the loss? And, I'm sorry? Yeah, the woman is the one suffering here. Not not the sheep. You, you see what I mean? The, woman, the, the shepherd was concerned and rejoices and everybody benefits. But here, it seems that all the, all the suffering, the discomfort, whatever you want to call it, is put on the same lady that is searching for it. And so it's, it's a different aspect of it is all we're trying to say here. It's the same, same thought, same truth. We're just emphasizing a different, different aspect of it. And so, what we're emphasizing here is, is it ought to be the Christian's concern for the salvation of others. That we ought to suffer in, in the sense that there are lost people around us, you know and, and people we ought to hurt by that you know and and that so biblical love okay, is always going to be about loving a person's soul and loving a person's salvation second um, corinthians eleven twenty eight through twenty nine you know Paul goes through that list that just you know i don't you know beaten shipwrecked, left for dead, danger by countrymen, danger by for you know just a horrible scenario of things that he's been through. And then apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who's weak without my being weak? Who's led into sin without my intense concern? Look, if you've never lost sleep over the salvation or the spiritual condition of someone you know, you, you, you can't relate with this. You see what I mean? You're not there yet. Okay, This is about having serious concern about the things going on in the church, the, the state of the people around you, uh, when you know a Christian is making scary decisions and it's just, it's just eating you up because you want to help and you, know, you, you want to try, you know, that, that's what this is. There should be an intense concern for, for the soul and the salvation of the people that you're around. Both Christian and not, right? I mean, we, we ought to have this intense concern. And so, this is biblical love. This, this, is, this is real accountability and fellowship. This is what it ends up looking like. And so, uh, this is what the lost coin is emphasizing. It's the woman who suffered the loss of the coin. And when you know, we are dealing with people in the church that are, that are making decisions, that are putting them outside of Christ, uh, putting them back into the world, you know, it, we suffer the loss of that, right? When we know people that we love and care about that are not seeking the Lord, that are not interested in the Lord and are making bad decisions, you know, we, we, that, that there ought to be intense concern on our part for that. And so, like I said, it's just a different attitude that we're being... We're, we're bringing attention to. Now, here's something else. How did she find it? Okay, this is cool. There's, there's a whole, there's a sermon here, guys. If You preachers want to throw this down. If you like the little three-point sermons, Jake's like, here we go. How did she find it? Well, step one, she lights a lamp. Okay, she lights a lamp. Chris just got a big smile on his face. Why do you, what are we going to do with that, Chris? Light into our path. Bingo, right? You've got to turn the lights on. Okay, you got to turn the lights on. Can't find anything in the dark, okay? And that's where people are. People who are outside of Christ, they're never going to find their way until the lights are turned on, right? You've got to bring them into the Word of God. Once they see it, you know, things start coming together. It's such a cool experience to be able to sit down with someone and watch the light turn on in their life. You know, expose them to the Bible where they can start making sense of it. They've probably been exposed to the Bible, but they've never probably had an actual Bible study where they can make sense of what they're reading and it's relatable and they can, you know, figure out how it applies to them and it really changes. I mean, you see the lights coming on in, in their mind and, and then, you know, and then they start wrestling with that. It's a really cool thing. But that's where it starts. I mean, it starts with, with bringing the Word of God into, into their, their life. And so, you're going to turn the light on and then what are you going to do once the light's on? Yeah. Going to clean house, Jake. <laughs> Got to sweep the house. Okay, and so you use the light not just to see, but to clean up the mess. Okay, and so that's what we're going to do with the Word of God. We're going to, you know, a guy came up to me last week. Um, he's been coming uh, to Glencoe periodically, um, and uh, uh, he's he's the same one that's dealing with his work schedule, you know. And so he's he's been there the last few Sundays now, and. He come up to me and said I, he said, he said, I need to be baptized. I haven't talked to him about baptism yet. We've been trying to just sit down and have some Bible studies. But, you know, he said, I need to be baptized. He said, I've, I've known this for the last, like, three months that I need to be baptized. But I know that I'm in no shape to do that. He's like, I got sin in my life, don't I? I'm like, why are you asking me? He said, well, you're, well, I do. He said, there's sin in my life. I got I to gotta repent. I got to straighten out. And he said, uh, that needs to come first. It sounds like you got it. You, you know, you know what you're doing, you know. And so I said, "How can I help?" And so anyway, anyway, it's cool, right? He's been exposed to the Word of God, and then what's he doing with it? He's using it to clean up, right? And so you know, you start figuring out there's things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, and there's things I need to be doing that I don't that I'm not doing, and and so you turn the lights on, and then you can get the clutter uh, out of your life. And so that's that's a cool idea, and so that's how it should work. You know, evangelism should work that way. Um, you, can't, you, know, we, you can't save lost people without the light of God's Word. Okay? It's not possible to save people without the Word of God. We need to quit trying to evangelize and leave the Word of God out of it. It's not possible. I don't know what we think we're doing, but it's not evangelism if the Word of God isn't a part of that situation. And so, uh, so we use the Word of God to clear the cl- clutter. What does that look like? Well, it means you start changing your priorities, changing the way you think, Changing what what your focus is, changing what's important, right? What's not important. That I mean, and then what is that? We call that repentance. Right? Repent and then be baptized, right? And so you turn the light on and then things start to change in their life. And so it's no different than go out and make disciples and baptize them. Repent and be baptized. You know, the process of following Christ and repentance look the same. Okay, I'm, I'm cleaning up, right? I'm, I'm changing the way that I'm thinking and uh, you know, those sorts of things. And so, um, and then what? You know, the third step is what? Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you find it, right? I mean, you can't find it till those things happen, right? And so, um, that, that's, 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 that's what's going on here. And so, uh, you, you turn the light on, you clean it up, you, and then you find, and so you search till you find. Um, <clears throat> why are things lost? Okay, why? How did the sheep get lost? Okay, sheep's they stray from the flock. They they'll nibble their way lost. It's exa- that's how. That's what'll happen. They they're you know they will see a piece of grass, and then they'll see a piece of grass, and then they'll see a piece of grass, and they'll just keep going, and then you know and then they're gone. They'll nibble their way lost. Is what happens. Okay. Um, Cease listening, my son, to discipline. You'll stray from the words of knowledge. Do people ever get lost that way? Yeah. They just, they quit listening. Next thing they know, man, I don't know how my life ended up like this. What happened, you know? Um, and so that that certainly happens. You know, they spend a little bit of time uh, away from church, uh, away from the assembly, away from Christian people, away from their Bible, away from a prayer life. And then next thing they know, they're so far gone, they don't know how to get back sometimes. And so, happens, happens. sometimes, a lot of times it's not intentionally, okay? So, finding yourself out of Christ is not often intentional, but it's always intentional to be in Christ. There's no other way that that'll work. And so, keep that in mind. Now, how's the coin lost? Because it didn't nibble itself away. Huh? Sorry? She dropped it, she dropped it okay? Yeah, uh, lost, um, not stolen. Okay, but it was it was misplaced. It was lost. We're gonna say, um, well, look here. She says at the end of this, rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. Okay, right? You ever lost your keys? Lost your cell phone? Okay, what happened? Just careless. Yeah, yeah. Put just laid it down somewhere. Wasn't thinking didn't put it where you always put it, something like that. And so we're going to say that the coin is lost due to the carelessness of somebody other than the coin, okay? Not the carelessness of the coin, but the carelessness of another, okay? And so listen, the, the woman confirms that here in verse 9 that she is the one that lost it. But the point is, okay, here's what the point's not, because don't hear what I, I'm not saying tonight. It's not that we're not responsible for our own spiritual condition and our own, own spiritual lives. That's not it at all. But it's that we do need to understand that there are consequences to our careless actions. Sometimes people wander and stray because of the careless words or actions of other people. Okay? So sometimes it's, it may be, we may be their excuse. Okay? We said something offensive. Um, we forgot about them. We neglected them, right? Uh, something, something happened. Some careless thing had happened. And because of that, there's fallout. And so <clears throat> that's the sad thing. That's just it's going to happen, right? Those things are going to happen sometimes. Jesus talked often about the dangers of stumbling blocks in this world. And he told us that it's inevitable that there will be stumbling blocks. But he said, woe to what? those who are the stumbling block, those who, yeah, so our job, like we'll never, we'll, people will never be without excuse, okay? They, they'll always be able to, to make up an excuse for it, but we need to make sure it's, we're not the, the reason that people are not in Christ, that people are on the outside of this. And so, but when we are, we need to be humble enough and sincere enough to admit that and then, and then go after that individual and try to make that better. Okay, Um Again, everybody that I've met in the church that has left over hurt, feel, hurt feelings, okay? Some people have left the church because of doctrine and I'm not going to apologize for that, okay? Uh, if I was wrong, I would, okay? But if I'm not going to apologize for preaching the Word of God and holding people accountable to it. And so, um, so that, there's nothing I can do about that. I can try to sit down and talk to them, uh, see if it was a misunderstanding of something I said, uh, but when it comes to doctrine, doctrine is doctrine and so that doesn't change. But every time I've seen someone someone leave because of somebody in the church or somebody said something to hurt their feet, you know, it, it's always, it, it, here's the way it always is. The person that, that offended that individual has no idea. They have no idea that what they did caused this problem. And so if that person would have just said something or if, or if the person that, that becomes aware of it would just go to that person and say, hey, I, man, I did not mean... Anything by my actions i'm I, you know i'm I'm sorry that that these things happened, and you took them that way, but my point is that as Christians, we need to be spiritually considerate of one another and what one another is going through okay that's that's important um, I, I you know there's points where you know as a preacher, you get information about what's going on with a lot of people in your congregation. And sometimes I stand in the pulpit and I look out at everybody on a Sunday morning and like everyone's just there, you know, and I get it, you know, everyone showed up and the smile on their face, we're here for Sunday morning. But like I know for a fact that there's things going on in people's lives. Like some of those people are there by the grace of God that morning, you know, and nothing else. You know what I mean? Some people were there and I know it was a struggle for them to be there. Some people were there and I know what they were dealing with the night before. I know what they were dealing with this week. But they come in, they put a smile on their face. Nobody knows the wiser. And and it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to be open enough with one another that we're aware. But I just, there's so many times where I stand in the pulpit and I think, if everybody knew what I knew about everyone in here, we would just treat each other better. You know what I mean? We'd be you know, like like people would be hugging that person over there right now because they, they knew what they went through this week. And people would be patting that person on the back right now because they knew like what a struggle it was for them to get there. But we keep those things to ourselves and then we fight those battles alone. And anyway, I'm just saying we need to be spiritually considerate of what's going on in each other's lives and aware of those things because sometimes things get lost due to the carelessness of others. Okay? And so in this in this parable, that seems to be the situation. Okay, this woman uh, she suffered, but she's also the cause of it, and so she did what was necessary to to remedy that. And that's uh, that's an important lesson. These people that are coming to Jesus, the tax collectors, the uh, the, the sinners. Okay, <laughs> they they came to Je- they didn't come to the religious leaders. You know what I mean? But they came to Jesus, and I know we said that already. But there there is an, a point to that. Uh, how many of them aren't a part of things because of the religious leaders? I would have used that as an excuse. I can tell you that right now. I'd have been like, I don't want nothing to do with this because I see those guys right there. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have been in a position to change that then. You know, I, I can't be, I guess anybody could be a Pharisee if you meet their man-made criteria. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, you, you see my point there. There's, there's I'm sure a lot of people that were in a bad way because of the damage that these people have done um, with their self-righteousness and man-made traditions and rules. right, let's look at, uh, let's look at the prodigal son. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Big chapter. Um, Not gonna read it all because then we would have to read it and then be done for the night, I think. but we're familiar with the account. Uh, we'll go through it in pieces here in a minute. Um, but uh, you know what? It's not, it's not as bad as I think it is. Let's go ahead and read it. Let's get, let's get through this. Um, we want this fresh in our mind here. Starting in verse 11. said He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. There he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country. and He began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of his father's men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to, the, said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his slaves quickly bring out the best robe put it on him put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again he was lost and has been found and they began to celebrate let's let's stop there we'll, we'll, we'll finish this out in, in in a minute but let's let's kind of go over this um father has two sons and the younger one is requesting his share of the estate. Okay? Then he takes his fair share of the estate and he departs to, the Bible says a distant country. We don't know how far he went. Um, but he squanders everything he has on loose living. Okay? So in this illustration, obviously, the father is our heavenly father. And the prodigal son is someone in need of repentance. Someone who has left and needs to come back. Uh, Okay, so the son left everything. Okay, now, now let's think about what that means. The father was taking care of him. Father loved him. Father provided for him. And then he walked away from that. So in these three illustrations, we have a sheep like, why are they lost, right? The sheep wandered and strayed from the shepherd. The coin was lost due to the negligence of another. But the son deliberately walked away. I can do this better on my own. I can take care of myself better than he can. I want to be a self-made man, right? That kind of thing. So the son deliberately walked away. So there's the difference in why things are lost, okay? Now, the outcome's the same. Lost is lost, but the motivation for how they got lost, is it, it's important. Um, and so, like I said, the son deliberately walks away. Why did he walk away? Greed. Maybe you want to get out from under Dad's name, make a name for himself. Okay? Yeah, one way or the other, you know, it, it comes down, you know, to a lesson that every Christian has to understand, and, and that is that we cannot do this on our own. Okay, you know, when when if you want to talk about what it means to be out on your own, making your own decisions, all that sort of thing, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says that. You know, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what we do on our own, right? That's what freedom gets us. I mean, frankly, free will, ever since the beginning of time, that's what mankind has used our free will to do, the sin against God. And it puts us in a position that we don't want to be in, that we need redemption from, that we need saved from. And so, you know, um, the whole motivation behind our commitment to Christ has got to be that His way is better than my way, right? Than Ethan's, Ethan's way ain't going to work, you know? And so, um, you know, Matthew 16, right. you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow Him. And what, you know, what does that even mean? You've got to learn to say no to who? Yes, hardest person in the world to say no to, right? And that, like that's crazy to me because, you know, you would think like I'm the boss of me, right? So, But like it's not so easy to just tell yourself what to do. I mean, have you ever tried that? It's like here's what i need to do today and like you're not going to listen to yourself you're going to like it's really strange to really think about that but it's not real easy to just tell yourself to do something and so it's not so easy to tell yourself not to do something either but to deny yourself is going to take some self-discipline uh you know it's gonna but here's the deal you have to believe that denying yourself puts you in a better position right that that i'm uh, not capable of figuring this out and taking care of myself as, as well as the Lord is. And so I'm going to deny myself and then pick up your cross. What goes on a cross? You and then what happens on a cross? I mean, if it's done successfully, how does a cross end? With the, every time it ends with death. No one walks away from that. And so like, it really, like, I really don't like it when people talk about their cross to bear and it's always something silly. You know, like, well, my cross to bear is I'm, I have to deal with Jake this week. You know what I mean? Or, you, you know, but people say things like that, you know, or they'll say, well, I'm, you know, I'm gluten intolerant. That's my cross to bear. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, you know, that you can't afford to eat anymore. Because, <laughs> anyway, okay, my wife's gluten. It's it's crazy. It's nuts. You, you got to take out a loan to eat food. Uh, <laughs> I think that the tax bracket should be based on food allergies. Like, <laughs> n- not... Um, Ethan for president. Uh, <laughs> uh, where were we? Um, gluten. Cross the bear. Cross the bear. Yeah. People die on a cross, right? So it's not, it's not an allergy. It's not, it's not someone you've got to deal with this week. Or, you know, it's, it's none of that kind of stuff. Like you die on a cross. That's how a cross ends. So, you know, if you're going to put yourself on the cross... Right? And like this is emphasizing the denial of yourself. You die. That's how that works. I mean, there's no other way to get around it. If you have to go on the cross, you are carrying the cross, you're carrying it to your own death. And so Christianity is I've crucified myself with Christ. No longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. That's the whole premise of this, is that I have to die so that Christ may live. Which means, that sounds nice in rhetoric, but that means that my plans And my agenda and my priorities and my focus and the things that I want to that all has to die too. So that the things that Christ want, that can win. Like I can't I can't stay in conflict with this. I've got to crucify myself in my life, in the flesh, so that Christ may live in me. Right? That's that's the struggle is crucifying the old man so that you can walk in this newness of life. And that you do that every day. You do that in every decision. You've got to figure that out. And so that's the motivation for being a Christian. But this, 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 this prodigal son walks away because he can take care of things. And you have to understand, everybody that is outside of Jesus Christ is in that position right now. They have got to first learn that Jesus can figure this out better than you can. That his ways are better for you than what you think you know. Right? And so, that's where that's going to start. Now, he sells himself out. You know, he goes to this distant country. How bad is it? Okay? Well, it says he spent everything, okay? And then just his luck, a famine would occur in that country. And so the place where he thought this was going to work out, you know, and his, his wisdom, I don't know how old this kid was. We got a guy at Glencoe told me, I'm just going to share this is for free. This isn't part, but, but he, he, you know, and I just think about this all the time. He says that when a boy becomes, well, not just a boy, when, when, when a young person becomes about 18, God scoops half their brain out and he says God will give half of that back to him somewhere around 30, and he'll get the other part of that half back when he's about 40. And like, I'm on that 40 side now. I'm getting real close. I'm 38, so... Or you're 38 too right now, right? 37. So I'm wiser than Jake. And... Uh, <laughs> but you know like I think there's a lot of truth to that and so this kid in his in his half scooped brain you know was thinking this is the place for me to start my life everything's going to work out perfect here and he gets there he wastes everything he has so he's got nothing set up for the future he sacrificed nothing to make sure that he could be taken care of if things go south and guess what things go south because that's, that's how life works and so how many people do you know that are in that kind of a situation Right, they, they they you know you can't count on the things you don't count on, and so they they go all in on things that are kind of silly, and then the unforeseeable, which maybe other people could see but they didn't happen, and then what are you going to do? And so this person's on the out now. There's 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 a there's a bigger lesson to this story if we pay attention because what would happen if the prodigal son is out here in the distant land, and I had all these plans and everything's going to work out, and uh, and I wasted everything and now I've got nothing but I thought I was going to have a lot. And then the famine hits, and then Dad shows back up, comes running and says, hey, you know, here's some more cash to get you through for a little while, see ya, and goes back. I mean, is this kid going to learn the lesson? You see, if you keep bailing him out, he ain't coming back. Okay, that's the lesson, okay? And so, <clears throat> no one bails him out. So what's he ha- what, what has to happen now? Well, the consequences of his choices are going to get pretty stiff. Okay, and he's going to have to learn from that. Okay, and so, what's he going to learn? Well, he's going to learn, you know, well, he's going to hire himself out and he's going to be feeding swine. For a Jewish boy, you understand that's a pretty big deal, right? right? So, this is an unclean animal. He shouldn't have anything to do with it. But now he's going to be, you know, working in the hog pen there. And, and then, not only that, like, he's looking at the hog food, the hog slop, and he's like, boy, that looks good to me. You have to be in a really bad situation to look at that and think, boy, if if I could get a bite of that right now, man. You know, but that's that's what happens to people. You know, things that are undesirable become desirable. You know, I mean, it really does mess with your value system and what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. But again, the consequences get stiff. And only, I want you to see this, there's a point in this. Well, first of all, yeah, so lost everything, impoverished, severe famine. He's working among the swine. Leviticus 11, if you want the reference there, 7 and 8, this work to swine are unclean. But even these pigs were doing better than he was. And, you know, his first solution was to try to fix this himself. Okay, I wasn't counting for the famine. Now I'm impoverished. I can fix this. It's okay. I'll hire myself out. We'll do the pig thing for a while. But eventually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own this place. You know what I mean? That's probably what he was thinking. Uh, but he tries to fix it himself. And that's what we'll do too. We do the same thing. Uh, people in the world will do the same thing. Like, seems like God's always this, you know, like we, like our whole country does this. We don't want anything to do with God in America until there's a terrorist attack and then God come and save us from everything. You know what I mean? Like, we'd wanna, we want to do our own thing all the time until we get to a point where, now, now what? You know, and so, so he's trying to fix this himself. And it doesn't work so well, okay? And, there's a point here where you know, he comes to his senses. Okay, It's in verse 17 and 19. And it says that, right? When he came to his senses in verse 17. But I want you to realize that there's things that had to happen in order for him to come to his senses. And part of that is he has to face the consequences of his choices. And if we are constantly bailing people out from dealing with the consequences of their choices, they're never going to learn from that. And if they can't learn from that, they're never going to repent from that. They're never going to move forward. That kid would have stayed there forever and people would have just kept having to bail him out. But he'd have been fine because every time I hit a rock, guess what happens? Someone comes and bails me out. And so why would I change what I'm doing? Okay, when we see people who are living a lifestyle that doesn't work and we wonder why do they keep doing it, might be because they're constantly getting bailed out. And so they've not learned to do something different, okay? Just, Bible tells us if a man doesn't work, what, what he shouldn't eat? Okay? It doesn't get any simpler than this. What happens if a man doesn't work? We're told, you know, what, somewhere in Proverbs it says that a man's appetite will work for him, okay? And so the idea is like, I like to eat. And so, if, the <laughs> if, if I can't eat unless I work, Like, the hungrier I get, the more motivated I am to do something. So any man who's physically able, if left to starve, will eventually get up and work. That's the motive. But if you keep bailing him out before he gets to that point, why would he ever work? Because I can learn that I can do nothing and I'm getting by with it just fine. Now, we get that physically. I saw, you all may have seen this too. Someone took a picture of, it's like at a park or something. And the Parks Department, National Wildlife, they put up this thing not to feed the squirrels uh, because they'll get used to being given handouts and then they won't be able to take care of themselves. <laughs> I mean, we're brain dead, right? I mean, like, yeah, we don't want the squirrels to be dependent on the government. <laughs> so. But like, it's all right if half our country are, okay? And so, but, but the point, you know, is that like there's, we, we got to learn from our mistakes. There's got to be this point, where, but, but spiritually, I want you to think about this. We understand how it works physically. Spiritually, are we letting people deal with the consequences of their choices or do we bail them out? You know, when people are in sin, do we really as a church make them feel the weight of that? Hoping that they'll repent? Not in a harsh way. Not in some, you know, I'm just, just in, in, in just a, the, the, exactly the way the Bible calls it. Like church discipline. Doesn't happen. Right? Well, that's not that's, that's very kind. That's not very helpful. You know, um, you know if, if we don't let people feel the weight of the choices they're making, I don't know. Why would they change? I think a lot of times we cover for people. Like we know people aren't being faithful, but we'll still let them come up and, you know, lead music or, you know, have a communion meditation this Sunday or we're going to ask them to close out in prayer this week just because we're glad. They're, like I, I'm telling you this, where I'm at, if you're not being faithful, you're not, I'm not putting you in the spotlight for anything. Like I'm not going to set you up here and say here's a good example of a Christian if you're not being a good example for a Christian. I'm not going to call you to pray. I'm not going to ask you to come up and, and have a communion meditation. You're not going to serve communion. You're not going to get up and play music on a Sunday morning. You're, you're not going to do it. I'll ask you to step down until you're, you're living the example that, we, that, that the Bible upholds. You know what I'm saying? But I just want you to think spiritually in our congregations, in our lives. Are we... Letting people feel the weight of their own choices and the consequences of their actions spiritually to the point where they would feel the need to repent and change. Because if that didn't happen, he never would come to his senses. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. We'll finish this out and get into um, chapter 16 there. That's a, I think that's a good place to stop tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and uh, we'll close out this evening. <coughs> <laughs> Father God, we're grateful tonight uh, thankful for the time that we come together uh, and uh, study your word this evening. I pray that there's uh, things here tonight um, that we will hold on to, um, you know, about evangelism, uh, about responsibility in our life, accountability, uh, about your church, about the, uh, you know, about, about the benefit of, of people following you and, and Father, the consequences uh, when we don't. Um, there's, there's a lot to hold on to and think about with that. I pray we grab hold of it. Um, and Father, just be with our congregations, uh, be with our our Christian lives this week, the choices that we're making, and uh, thankful for for everyone that's here tonight, and just uh, pray all this, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.